but we are excited to start a new series uh, in the book of Jonah. And the series is called For the Neighborhood. You've maybe heard this phrase or seen this phrase. Uh, we put it on our yard signs that many of you have taken and put it in your yard or have seen maybe driving around in different neighborhoods and, and such. And this is kind of a phrase that we use at church as a church to describe to our community how uh, kind of like our desire and our heart and our mission here at Silver Creek Church. We believe that God is for our neighborhoods and we as a church want to be for our neighborhoods uh, as well. And so we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at the book of Jonah and kind of how it relates to us being good neighbors in the community that God has given us and ultimately with the goal of seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know how much you know about the Jonah story, but it is a common story that you will hear taught in children's ministry. In fact, when I was growing up uh, in Sunday school, if you're like me, I grew up in the church and uh, experienced different traditional style churches, more contemporary, but all of it was the same when it came to the book of Jonah. You'd hear it in Sunday school or Awana or maybe at vacation Bible camp or whatever it may be, but the sentiment often was Right, if you know the story, right, that Jonah was called by God to go to, the, uh, to Nineveh and preach the gospel, he refuses, and ultimately through certain circumstances, he ends up getting swallowed by a fish and stays there in the belly of the fish for three days before he gets spit up. Pretty crazy story, right? But the sentiment often was, whenever someone taught the story, that if you're going to disobey God, don't go swimming anytime soon. Because the sentiment was kind of like, hey, God's wrath is in front of you and before you and behind you that if you try to run from, he's going to get you. The problem is, is when you read this text, it's more than just that. That God actually is going to work in Jonah's life for a particular reason. That his heart is for his people to invite them into his redemptive story, to help them to, to kind of do what he's called them to do so that they might experience more life in him. In fact, it even reveals his heart for those who are far from God. That God's desire is for them to come to know him and be a part of his family as well. So as we dive in, uh, we're going to see three things in this text. First, we're going to see an invitation an intervention, and then an inspection. We're going to dive right into the first one, the invitation. Starting in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to say real quick before I dive in there, that's the first time I've had to read Scripture with a word like Tarshish and have to say it three times. But I think I got through it. But Jonah here, it kind of introduces the story of what's going on. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and it says that God told him, he says, Arise and go to the city of Nineveh, and basically speak out, call out against it, for their evil has come up before the Lord. By first reading, you might think that this is kind of similar to what you might see at, at a, like a, a street preacher. If you've ever gone in the city and there's a street preacher there and they're standing on their soapbox with their megaphone and they're condemning people and said, turn or burn, right? He's telling you better, you know, give it up and stop what you're doing and turn to God or else. 
But if you read the entirety of the book of Jonah, you know that God's intention through this is not condemnation, it's salvation. So that what God is calling Jonah to do is going to the city known to be an evil city and to share the gospel with him, the good news that only comes through a relationship with the one true God. And that through that, that they might ultimately be saved. This is a very honorable thing that God has called Jonah to, to do. This is an invitation into the redemptive story for the people of Nineveh that Jonah gets the opportunity to be a part of. But what he does is as soon as he hears this, it says that he ro- rises and he flees from the presence of God. He goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat, and heads in the exact opposite direction. If you actually look at a map, it's the exact opposite direction of where God calls him to go. When we think about our neighbors, right, oftentimes when we think about where we live, God will give us opportunities just like this. Maybe not to go all the way to a place like Nineveh, but certainly across the street or to our left or to our right and give us the opportunity to share the gospel, to care for for people that we live next to. And very often we can be like Jonah and just kind kind of throw it off to the side, disobey, and go in the opposite direction. But for Jonah, I want to dig into a little bit of why he disobeyed. I think there's three things that we see uh, both in this text and the greater text of Scripture. But the first is how Nineveh is described. First, it's described as a great city. In fact, we discover that the city is so great that it actually takes three days to journey from one end of it to the other end. And that they were known that there was a wall around this city that was so tall that if you laid it on its side, three chariots could ride side by side across it. And so being such a big city, it was a, a considered a kind of a metropolitan area with business and all kinds of trade going on. Things took place in this city. And so for uh, Jonah to be called to Nineveh, it was an incredibly large job to go after. Just the fact that it was such a big city for him to go and communicate the things of God to those people would have been an enormous task. And that's one reason probably why it was intimidating to him. But the second reason is another significant. It was described as an evil city. That their evil came up before God and so he sends them to kind of get them to stop what they were doing. In my research, uh, history kind of can show us that even the Ninevites how they described themselves, they would oftentimes brag about how they treated their enemies when they conquered other cities, the things that they would do to their soldiers and to their men, and they would brag about how they treated the women and uh, and different things like that and how they would treat one another. It's very obvious they were an evil, evil city. You know, when we think about God's calling on our life to go and share the gospel, which we'll dig into a little bit more here in a minute, You know, it's really easy for us to think about doing that with our family or our friends, those who are closest to us. But thinking about doing that with somebody who's different than us, or someone who has maybe different political views or different opinions or raises their family a different way, or or maybe we just find obnoxious. It's hard for us to cross that bridge and barrier. And that was another reason why Jonah chose not to do this. Uh, You may not know this. I actually didn't know this until I studied the text. But Jonah is mentioned in another part of Scripture in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 14. It actually has a small little kind of little caption where it talks about Jonah, the son of Amittai, where ultimately during that time, God, you know, the word of God came to Jonah and told him to speak on God's behalf to the king, the king of of Israel, his own people, 
And the king of Israel was known at that time to, to do evil in the sight of God. So there's a lot of similarities between these two stories that Jonah was called to go to the king, king of his own people who was doing evil things and speak on behalf of God. But he, he did it. He obeyed. And as a result, the king did what God said. He fortified the border of Israel and protected it so God's people wasn't wiped out. So ask a question. It kind of begs you to wonder, why did Jonah accept that calling but not this one? Well, I think it's because God called him to speak to his, on behalf of his own people. Now he was being called to speak on behalf of somebody else. And sometimes we can have prejudice toward others or we can have barriers between and other, us and other people and we might see how somebody lives and how somebody acts and think in, to ourselves, I never want to invest in their life. I never maybe even want to see them come to faith because they've just so, done so many evil things that I don't want to be that person. I don't want God to, to put me in that situation where I have to invest in that way. The reality is this, what this, this passage shows us is that there's no one that's too far from God. That there's no one that's done so many evil things that they are disqualify themselves from the grace of God. That God himself loves the people that are far from him and wants to see them come to face for their sins to be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And I, I'm convinced when we think about the neighborhood level, right, that if you're in a neighborhood or maybe you're just kind of street where you have kind of people to, next to you or across the street or wherever it may be, I'm convinced, though, at every single neighborhood, there's always one neighbor that's a little bit obnoxious. It's a difficult neighbor to work with. And, you know, maybe they're, they're mowing their yard at 6 a.m. in the morning as soon as the sun comes up, right? Or they're partying late into the night or, or maybe they're complaining about everything, about how, you know, your, your bushes look out front or how tall or how short your grass is, whatever it may be, right? And if you're thinking to yourself, well, my neighborhood's perfect, it's possible that maybe you're the obnoxious neighbor. <laughs> and uh, I'll let the Holy Spirit convict you on that one. But the reality is when you start living in neighborhoods in close proximity with people, People that have different values and have different backgrounds and different opinions, it can get messy. It can get messy. And, and God calls us to minister and to serve those people. And the question is, is if we're in Jonah's situation, how would we respond? For Jonah, he disobeyed and went in the opposite direction. But we got to remember that what God calls us to do is that as he's given us the gift of salvation and entered in relationship with us, that he doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants that to go out to others. This quote by Robbie Gallaty I love because it kind of speaks to the heart of God when he saves us. It says, the gospel, speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ, came to you because it was going to someone else. Meaning that, yes, God wants a relationship with us, and yes, he wants us to know him and have a relationship that is flourishing, but at the same time, the moment we enter in a relationship with God, we are now called to go and share that good news with other people as well. There's two texts uh, outside of Jonah I want to just kind of bring your attention to that kind of speak to what our mission is as believers, but also it speaks to the scope of that mission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, this is known as the Great Commission. This is at the end of the Gospels where uh, Jesus had already died. He was buried. He rose again. He's kind of the last kind of final time he's speaking to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he says this. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this answers for us the what. What is our mission? Our mission is to go and to make disciples. 
Jesus tells this to his disciples. He's been walking with them for several years. And he's like, I've been investing in you. I've been, you know, I taught you how to follow me and, and how to, you know, do the things of God and how to, you know, preach and how to share the gospel and all these different things. He says, now I want you to go and do the same with somebody else. And that same mission is passed down to us that we, as we come to faith, now must go and make disciples of others as well. Well, Acts 1.8 kind of tells us the scope. Like, where is this mission supposed to take place? We looked at this passage a couple weeks ago at our Glow Sunday. But it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, that idea that we're to be a witness for God, for what he's done for us in our lives. And then he gives us these like, geographical regions. And it, it's supposed to act like concentric circles working its way out. Starts with Jerusalem. For the early disciples, that would have been their neighborhood. That would have been their city, the small city, the small town that they were investing in. And that they were, you know, as disciples, were preaching the gospel and were ministering to people. That they would be a witness there in their neighborhood like we are to be witnesses in our neighborhood. And then working out to Judea and Samaria and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. So my question for you is are you being a witness and are you making disciples in your neighborhood? I know that's a challenging thing because a lot of times when we think about our homes, it's kind of the where we let our hair down, we relax, that's where we find safety and comfort. You know, but at the same time, God has called us to make a difference even where we live. And so one of the things as a church we're trying to do, you've, many of you have heard me talk about our block party trailer uh, before, and uh, we've got, we're kind of like on the goal line, we're about to punch in the, the football for the touchdown, and this is a mock-up of what our wrap will look like, it's been being fixed up, and we're, you know, finalizing kind of different things that are going to go into it, one of the things that's going to go into it, I know you've been waiting for this all morning, is a snow cone machine, and some other things as well, yard games, different things like that, and here's why. In your neighborhood, imagine putting this out on your driveway, setting it up, letting your neighbors know, hey, I've got some snow, a, an awesome snow cone machine, commercial grade, and I just want to, to offer it up to all my neighbors to come over and just have a good time. I mean, we've got blue raspberry, grape, we've got orange cream, I've got cherry and mango and a couple different flavors as well, and, and they show up and you guys share some snow cones together. What would that allow you to do? It would allow you to build relationships with those in your neighborhood. And that God would like create opportunities for you to have conversations that might direct them back to the gospel. You might discover that there are people that are in your neighborhood that are broken, that are hurting. And that you can encourage them with the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. At the very least, it builds goodwill toward people that when they are going through something, that they might come up to you, you know, and, and in your neighborhood and say, hey, I know that you're a Christian, could you pray for me? That actually happened to me a number of years ago. Um, I, you know, being a pastor, it's a little bit easier because my occupation and my faith kind of tied together. Um, but I was living in a community, and we were kind of new to that community, got to know our neighbors a little bit, and uh, they knew I was a pastor. And one day, uh, one of our neighbors saw me outside. He walked up to me when, and started to tear up in his eyes. He says, I know you're a pastor. I just need you to pray for me. My marriage is not doing well. And you don't know what the opportunities you may find, but the problem is, is most people don't know their neighbors. Actually, statistically speaking, if you move into a new community, you have about two weeks to learn your neighbor's names or you may never, you may never learn them. 
And so we as a church want to provide opportunities for our community groups and for individuals. And once we get this launched, you'll be able to kind of uh, rent it out and we'll have a team that will drop it up for you and help you set it up if you need it. Um, and you can run block parties. You can put snow cone machine out there. We've got a couple ideas we're working on on stocking this thing. For you to be able to start and make a step in the right direction is getting to know your neighbors, learning their names, and begin praying for them. We want to be the kind of church that does that. It's an inv invitation from God to do what he's called us to do, and we can start in our neighborhoods. Number two is intervention. No, notice Jonah's response, right, to this invitation. He boards a ship, and he heads in the opposite direction. And God responds to that with a full-blown intervention. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different than what we might consider an intervention. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the show, Intervention. Uh, but it was on A&E, and actually I didn't know it still was on, but apparently it's been running for about 18 years. Uh, but the concept of the show is that there's kind of like this main person, it's a, you know, kind of a real-time, real-life show, reality TV, someone who's struggling with some kind of addiction or habit or behavior that is causing harm to themselves or others. And so they'll contact the show, and uh, they will ultimately uh, find a way to kind of ambush, have an intervention with this person, with all their families and family and friends, and they'll speak into their life, and they'll kind of point out their, their habit, their behavior, and how it's hurting them, and then they'll give them an opportunity to, to get help. What God is going to do for Jonah is that, yes, it's going to be in the form of discipline, but he's going to respond with an intervention. Jonah has run thinking he can get away from God, but God is going to pursue him in his obedience to the point of maybe restoring him to be able to continue to pursue his calling. Let's take a look here, verses 4 through 6. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will, uh, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. A couple things I want to point out here is, is God's intervention doesn't come in the comfort of a living room like on the show. Or it doesn't come on in, at someone's work or a, a kind of a safe space. It comes in the form of a terrible storm. It says that it was so great that the, the boat began to break apart. And the sailors, the mariners, that they were so afraid that they began throwing their cargo off of the ship. If you know anything about this trade, that that was significant because basically they were transporting cargo from one area to the next. And if they threw it overboard, when they got to their destination, they ultimately would not have anything to sell. This was their livelihood they were throwing over the side of the boat because they thought they were going to die. And even more so, the people on the boat began to, to pray out to their gods, speak out to their gods, these false gods that they worshipped, that they might be saved and what was Jonah doing during, doing during this time? He was taking a siesta. He was just hanging out in the bottom of the boat, having probably the best sleep of his life. Do you know why? He was, I believe that he was sleeping because he had so much anxiety and fear in what God had called him to do that he finally felt he was safe, running from the presence of God. And yet God's going to come in intervention and wake Jonah up in a very real sense, but also in a spiritual sense. 
He's going to intervene on his life in, in the midst of his disobedience. And this kind of shows to us uh, how much God loves his people, that he's willing to discipline and wake them up even when they're disobeying him. And even more so, his heart for a lost nation, the nation of uh, the city, I mean, of Nineveh, that he is willing to make his own people uncomfortable so that they might hear the good news. See, God sometimes in our lives will make us uncomfortable in order for people to come to faith, in order uh, for us to fulfill our calling. But most of us are like Jonah, that we'd rather be comfortable. We'd rather go to the places that make us feel safe, that make us feel like we don't have to step out in risk or, or step out in, into a situation that makes us uncomfortable or is beyond like what we feel we can do. We search for the place that we feel safe and comfortable. And oftentimes that means that we can disobey God and not do what he's called us to do. And so the mariners come and they wake him up Say, what are you doing? Basically, what, why are you sleeping? Like, call out to your God, and maybe he will listen. And maybe on our behalf, he will save us. It's also a good reminder that when we go through difficult things in our lives, I think sometimes God uses that to wake us up, to give us an opportunity to respond, like even though we've been disobedient, that we would maybe start pursuing him and doing the things he's called us to do. We have this uh, unfortunate side. We start asking questions when things happen in our lives. We start asking, why is God doing this to me? Stories like Jonah help us to flip the script a little bit. Not ask, why is God doing this to me? We start asking, why is God doing this for me? What is he trying to teach me? What is he trying to awaken in my soul? What is he trying to correct in my life so that I might live for him? Well, what God is going to do here in this inter intervention that he is going to, and this leads us to number three, he's going to allow Jonah to have this, this inspection of his heart. That Jonah is going to see the, the, the kind of places where his heart has fallen short. And as a response to that, he's going to, we're going to see God restore him and renew him. A couple years, or a couple months ago, um, we woke up in, uh, in the morning uh, at the house without, without water. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced life without running water in your house. It's not fun. Um, and uh, I've told you guys before we purchased the house. It's an older house. We're trying to fix it up. It's cosmetically it was ugly and starting to get where we wanted and different things like that. But it is an older house, so sometimes things break. And so we called some people like, of like, what happens when you don't have water running in your house? This has never happened to me before. And most people suggested it was like, hey, it's probably your well pump. Um, the, and that's what ultimately brings water from the well into the house. And so we called the professionals. They came, and they did an inspection of our well pump. And, uh, of course, they were checking to make sure it was an electrical problem or a circuit break or something like that. And ultimately discovered that the well pump uh, had gone bad. So they had to replace it. You know, of course, several thousand dollars later, we had running water again, which is great and always fun. Um, but my point is this with telling you that story is oftentimes... God will put us through situations that require us in our brokenness and in our pain and in our suffering to do an inspection of our heart. Until you do an inspection of your heart, right? And so, just like with the inspection of the well pump, you won't know it's broken until you do an inspection. You won't know how to fix it until you can diagnose the problem. What ultimately we're going to see here is that God puts Jonah through an inspection and gives him the opportunity to respond. 
But first, let's take a look at his heart. Verses 7 through 10, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know uh, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what... Uh, or, and of what people are you? They started interrogating him. Like, they were convinced it was his fault, and it was. And they started interrogating him. Who are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, and the God of heaven, who made the sea and the, uh, and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You may not know this, but this reveals something about Jonah's heart. When he was questioned, his response was that, I fear the Lord. And that, whenever you see the idea of the fear of the Lord of the Bible, it's not necessarily speaking of fear like a fear from a monster, but a reverent fear that leads to worship. And so essentially saying, I worship the one true God, the God of the heavens who's created both the sea and the dry land. And yet, the sailors knew, even though he proclaimed that with his lips, his actions spoke differently. I imagine if they looked at him who's already told them he was trying to flee from the presence of God, that they were confused. You say that you fear God and you worship him, and yet you are fleeing from him. Something doesn't connect. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, this meme or whatever you want to call it on social media, but I think this is the perfect response that probably the sailors had in the moment when he said that he worshiped God. Let's take a look at this. You sure about that? 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 You sure All right. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, I think it's hilarious. But it, I can imagine these, these sailors, right, when they hear him say, yeah, I worship the one true God, they're like, are you sure about that? You know, because if you were, you wouldn't be running from his presence. Like, that just doesn't make sense, right? The problem that a lot of Christians have I believe when we are trying to witness to our communities, witness to our neighborhoods, and, and invest in their lives, is that we will say one thing with our lips and then live a different way with our lives. We say we worship God and, and we put a, a sign, a church sign in our yard, and, and you know, we come to church on Sunday, and yet we live as though, Monday through Saturday, that we live as though He doesn't exist. A couple years ago, I read a book um, called Monday Morning Atheist. And the concept of the book is a lot of Christians, they'll come to church on Sunday morning and they'll raise their hand in worship and they'll sing out and, and they'll nod their heads during the preaching of the word and then Sunday comes around and they will act as if God doesn't exist. They're a Christian on Sunday and an atheist on Monday. I believe if we're gonna have a, an investment, a kingdom investment in our communities, in our neighborhoods, it starts with us having an inspection of our heart. Do we really believe what we say we believe? And are we living it out? Because your neighbors, as they come over for your snow cones and hang out at your house and get to know you a little bit more, and they find out that you're a Christian and you go to Silver Creek Church, and yet they see different things in their lives, are they going to question? Are they going to say, are you sure about that? We want to be the kind of church that not, doesn't just come on Sunday morning and plays the role, but we are living fully for God all the way Sunday through Saturday 24-7 doing as God calls us to do because when we do and we live out the hope we have in Jesus Christ when other people's lives are falling apart they will see us as an anchor holding them in the midst of their storm we won't be like Jonah sleeping 
in the bottom of the ship in our own comfort and our own safety but we will be diving into the storm of people's lives holding them fast to the gospel and the truth of god's word and maybe just maybe god will give us opportunity to see someone come to faith in jesus you guys know kind of the rest of the story where they asked jonah what should we do how can we get out of this and jonah tells them just throw me into the sea course the mariners they they pause the sailors they pause and they try to row and they try to do everything else but that probably because they don't want more judgment more wrath from god but eventually they throw him overboard into the sea and immediately the wind dies down the water's calm then we read in the pages at the last verse of the chapter one that god appoints a large fish a great fish that swallows jonah up and for three days and three nights he spends in that fish you imagine the brokenness he's experienced, the pain, the sorrow, the fear. But the beautiful thing that we see in Jonah, in chapter two, a lot of people skip over this. Chapter two, at the end of those three days, Jonah pens this beautiful prayer for us that he prays in the belly of this fish. And in that, he kind of recaps his experience of how he has been far from God and, and God himself even brought him to the depths of hell. And then, but in the midst of that, he, he saw the hope that one day he would return to God's temple and worship in relationship with him. But he finishes that prayer with this. And as, as we, my prayer is that God might do an inspection on your heart this morning. I pray that these words would be yours as well. Verses eight through 10, it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The words that Jonah says here is just really simple. First, he realizes that he went after vain idols. He went after his comfort. He went after what he thought was best, and he turned and disobeyed from God. And in doing that, he recognized that he forsaked the, the hope of his steadfast love, the steadfast love of his heavenly Father. But in this moment, he repents and says, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, which is crazy for him to say he's thankful, despite the fact he's gone through so much, he says, I will sacrifice to you. And then he makes a statement, what I have vowed, I will pay. What he's saying here is, God, what I said I would do for you, I will do. He's committed his life to serving the Lord and saying, whatever it is that you have for me, I will do. And then makes this beautiful statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. He's recognized it's not in my hands. It's not in my power. Whoever you want me to go tell the news to, whoever you want to save will be saved. Use me. Show me. Point me in the direction that you want me to go so that they may come to know the Lord. And, you, and you'll find out a little bit more next week that Jonah still doesn't get it all. God's starting to do work, but he's also patient with Jonah. And my encouragement to you as we kind of close up here, and I'm going to close in prayer, is that as we sing these last three songs, that God might do an inspection of your heart. And I want to ask you that, yes, you may come to church on Sunday and say that you follow Jesus, but does your life look like it? And if it does, another question is, are you actively pursuing the things of God? Are you living out your calling to go and make disciples of all the nations, including across the street and to the, your left or your right? Are you reaching your neighborhood? We as a church want to be for the neighborhood because we believe God is for the neighborhood. We need to be a people willing to be uncomfortable so that other people might come to know him as their savior. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word and just ask, Lord, that uh, you would do an inspection of our heart. Lord, that we would look and, and, and allow you to reveal to us the places that are broken so that we might receive healing, that we might be fixed, that we might align our lives and our hearts with yours. Lord, you love us so much that even when we disobey, Lord, that you will pursue us. And you'll do it, Lord, in a way that's uncomfortable, but it always points us back to restoration. So, Lord, help us to seek restoration this morning and give us a heart like yours to go to those that don't know you and to be a light in dark places and share the good news of Jesus Christ so that others might be saved. And I pray 